Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, Scott Luton, and special guest host, Jenny Froome, my dear friend here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Jenny, how are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you, Scott. It's evening here and electricity, but don't tell anyone. Yes. Well, you know, kidding aside, it has been fascinating to learn more about the load shedding that you and your fellow community residents have to deal with. So I am tickled that you're here and you've got electricity and power and we can see Jenny in all of her glory here today on Spot You Now. <laughs> all right. So Jenny, we've got a big show teed up. Not only do we have a big guest and a great, wonderful co-host, but we have a huge topic that we get asked about all the time. So today we're continuing our very popular and long-running series, Supply Chain Today and Tomorrow, of course, with Mike Griswold from Gartner. And today, we're tackling a topic. Jenny, I bet you get asked about it millions of times a week. I know we do. How can I advance my supply chain career, right? So Jenny, today, we're going to be offering at least four ways, four ideas for folks that have been there and done it to do just that. Should be an outstanding conversation, right? I think so. And I think, you know, you summed it up by saying it's a, it's an easy show because obviously we've got Mike on board and we love to listen to what he has to say. We do. But, you know, don't sell yourself short, Jenny. You know, as we've talked about on your previous appearances, and we don't go over, t- over two decades, as you know, that's our standing mm-hmm. rule. But for over two decades, you've been enabling and facilitating folks to further their careers on a wide variety of levels across the African continent. So we really admire what you do. And then, man, to have Mike and Jenny in the same show, I am tickled. So you have to pinch me later. Okay. And we're also going to, going to touch on beyond an upcoming big event Gartner's got coming up. We're also going to touch on an upcoming big event that you are leading in Cape Town. So more on that to come. But Jenny, before we get going, I want to share just a couple of quick program notes, if that's good for you. Folks, You've heard us talk about this forever. I hate that we have to keep talking about it, but we want you to join our collective efforts. This has been going on about a year or so now. It's our Leveraging Logistics for Ukraine initiative led by Maureen and Enrique and Christy and the whole team at Vector Global Logistics. They've really built an ecosystem of folks that care and want to help. And it's really led to talk about outcomes. Jenny, 670,000 pounds, over 670,000 pounds of humanitarian aid has made it to Ukraine and Poland, folks in need there. But it's amazing. It really is. And it's timely and it's, it, ma- it makes you proud to be part of global supply chain, right? But it's driven by people that care, people that attend these monthly planning sessions so they can get a sense of what, what's going on and, and what is needed. So we, I would invite you and encourage you to join us on March 7th at 11 a.m. Eastern time for the next planning session. You don't have to give anything. You don't have to say anything, just show up and get a sense of what this noble mission is all about. Okay, next, Jenny. I know you're familiar with that initiative. I don't think you've seen this one yet. We're tickled about this March 21st webinar. Jenny, who is not creating content these days? Yeah. Everybody is, right? There are those who do it well and those who don't do it quite so well. And at least we're on a platform where they do it brilliantly. Uh, well, you're too kind, Jenny, but you're also really right. So if you are all about creating content, whether it's B2B, of course, that's what we specialize in here, B2C, hey, join our live webinar on March 21st. We've got Ursula Ringham from SAP, Brandy Boatner with IBM, Greg's joining me, and we're going to talk about five tips for creating effective digital content. So y'all check that out. And we're going to make it easy. We've got the links to check out both of those items right there in the comments, and you're one click away from being a part of those special initiatives. Okay, so Jenny, I'm really excited about this upcoming conversation we're going to have. Are you ready to bring on the one and only Mike Griswold? Very ready. Okay, everybody's buckled up. So with that said, 
I want to welcome in the one and only Mike Griswold, Vice President Analyst with Gartner. Hey, hey, Mike, how are you doing? Hey, I'm great. I am trying to figure out, do I need to have some other expertise to spend time with Greg? He's been dodging me the last couple of months. (laughs) I don't know if it's me or if it's him, but uh, yeah, he's great to be here. I'm looking forward to the topic. Jenny, always good to hang out with you. It's actually not Greg avoiding you. It's me demanding to spend time with you. Thank you. It's a nice way to put it. I appreciate that. Well, so of course, Mike is referring, Mike and Jenny are both referring to the one and only Greg White. He is on assignment. He's doing some deep undercover work, investigative stuff. So he'll be back with us, tongue in cheek. He'll be back with us in the next few days. So, all right. So, Mike and Jenny, I've got, you know, we like starting with a kind of a fun warm up question, right? A lot of times it's business or history or food or music. Some of y'all may call Mike and Kelly Barner and I last month talking about. There's a supply chain jam session, and we intertwine music and supply chain thoughts. That was really cool. But today's fun warm-up question, we're talking retail, retail history. So on this date, Mike and Jenny, March 1st, 1962, though, the first Kmart opened in Garden City, Missouri. Now, I believe three stores still remain today. You know, it's been through all kinds of challenges. So I think three stores in the States remain from this legendary blue light special outlet and provider, right? So that begs the question. Mike, let's start with you. What retail store was inseparable from your upbringing? So I'll answer that, but real quick, if we'd have done this yesterday, yesterday was the 40th anniversary of the MASH finale, which Uh, I I love MASH. Um, Anyway, so to your question. So growing up, my dad was a teacher, taught European history, small town, and he and three of his teacher buddies opened a sporting goods store. In this small town I grew up in, a population like 5,000 had one head of Main Street. And at the time I was growing up, there were no stoplights, people diagonally parked. It was like out of what you would think of as small town America. Yep. Each of them had their own specialty. So my dad was the fishing guy. A couple of teachers were the golf and tennis guy. One guy was the shoe guy. But that was kind of where I would work and spend my time. It was my first introduction to retail. I can remember taking trips with my dad to to the big city of Rochester to go to some of the bigger sporting goods stores to see what type of fishing stuff he wanted to carry. But there was one day that I will never forget. Again, small rural town. We are in there working and I look out the front door and I see this deer hopping across (laughs) from across the street, across traffic, and came literally through our front door. And the door was closed, unfortunately. So <laughs> smashed the glass, hops around the store. Ironically enough, we had an indoor archery range. No one was shooting archery at the time, or we may have bagged ourselves a deer. Then bopped around and then bopped right out the th- same door that, uh, that he came in on. So, yeah, small town, you know, your, your mom and pop, the four teachers. But it was my first introduction, really, to retail. Wow. Okay, so Jenny, man, that's going to be tough to respond to. So Jenny, tell us about what's a special store that was inseparable from your upbringing. So I'll tell you about that in a sec, but Mike's comment reminded me very much. We had a a shop like that in in England where my parents lived in a place called Tunbridge Wells. And we went in there one day when I was at school and my mom asked for a pair of soccer boots for her daughter. And the guy, your shoe guy, said, well, that sounds like a fair exchange. So that's like one of my, one a, a very good memory of shopping with my mother. The childhood, sort of the store that's associated with my growing up was we lived in a town in Australia called Taramurra. And there was a local store there called Sweeney's. And Mr. Sweeney managed the store with his wife. And it had everything from cotton reels to jeans and, sort of, you know, high fashion. We, we thought it was high fashion then. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a store that you just used to love going into because Mr. Sweeney was just always there and always so welcoming. And that was like my first realization on how people can make you feel and it makes you just want to be in their presence. And that was him in that store. I love that. Mr. Sweeney, right? Mr. Sweeney. Yep. Sweeney. And of course, his wife and business partner that I'm sure is a quite a one-two punch, one-two effort and <laughs> socks. Sock for boots. <laughs> I can see 
be quite a trade. Love that. All right. So Mike and Jenny, thank you all very much. I would just add, growing up in Aiken, South Carolina, we had a locally owned shoe store called Leverett's. And Mr. Leverett ran the store with his family. We spent lots of going back to school times there. Mr. Gaddy's Pizza, I think we've talked about that before. That's still around. And then J.B. White. J.B. White's, I guess, that's been absorbed since then by probably Belk or another department store. But I worked there on summers away from college. So that was a special place. Okay. Is that is Aiken the home of golfer Dennis J- TJ? Dustin Johnson, I think, is from Aiken. Um, no, no, he's no? okay. He is from Myrtle Beach. It is uh, okay. Kisner. Okay, I knew. From, so I okay, I knew someone was. Yep, he's a good guy too. Yes, and Mike, you're just reillustrating why we've got to have you on our next supply chain nerds talk sports. We'll make that happen. <laughs> um, okay, so we've got a great topic teed up today. I'm look, we're looking forward to learning from Mike and Jenny. And again, it's on a topic we get asked about all the time. So let's go ahead and dive right into, I'm going to call it four ways, four ways, y'all count them with me, to optimize your supply chain career. And what we're going to do, we're going to go through Mike's list first, and Jenny and I will kind of comment on what we were hearing from Mike. And then who knows, we might have some bonus tips after Mike shares. So Mike, this question we get all the time, what's the first thing on your list in terms of a piece of advice? So let me give maybe just a little bit of context, Greg. When you sent this across around the topic for today, what I did is I took a look at part of the team that I manage looks after supply chain talent. So I looked at some of our research around how are we telling companies to think about attracting people, right? And getting people to stay in their organization. And I think some of the things that that we tell companies to do or how people want to think about their career. Answer some of these questions around how do you think about about work and how do you think about what you want out of your career. So with that as the context, the first one that we're talking to people a lot about, particularly post-pandemic, and I think people as they're in their career and thinking about changes in their career, need to think about how do you like to work? Five years ago, how you like to work, the answer was you were in an office. That was how you worked. And there were no other options. Right. But when I think about it today, people, there, there's kind of four dimensions to how people can think about how they like to work. Do you like yep. to work alone and be alone? Do you like to work alone, but maybe be in a shared space? Do you like to work together and be together? Or do you like to be together and still kind of work by yourself? And I think it's important for people to kind of ask themselves those questions and then find an employer or ask your current employer, how are they thinking about going, not necessarily going back to work, but how are they thinking about how they want their associates to work? Because what you want to think about in terms of your career is if, if you're a person that gets energy out of popping into someone's office and talking, that whole water cooler type of interaction. If that's where you get your energy, but your organization or a future organization has said, hey, we're a virtual first organization, right. what does that mean to you? Yep. Right. If you're someone like me that had been in an office and now work for home and don't need that, then to me, having to go into an office would be challenging. So I think as you think about your career, I think the first thing I would ask people to think about is how do you like to work and how are you currently matched? And if you're looking around for your next opportunity, how does that fit into those opportunities? So Mike, excellent starting point. And I'm going to, if I can, as an aside, and Jenny, want to get your take here in a second. Folks, it looks like we're having a little bit of issue with some of the social platforms as part of the live stream. So I don't have visibility to all the comments coming in, but I know Gino's with us. And good morning to you, Gino, up in North Alabama. So we'll work through it. You know, sometimes these platforms, they have bad mornings as well. And Mike, we might be losing your video a little bit here and there. Okay. So we'll just manage that as it comes. Hey, if we can manage through global supply chain strife, we can manage through a one hour long live stream, right? Okay. So Jenny, back to Mike's first point. It's such a good one. And I think it is so often overlooked because folks oftentimes, and I'll point to myself here because I'm bad now and earlier in my career, of wanting to jump to the solution without truly understanding 
what I want and what makes that the right solution, right? So Jenny, speak to you know, starting with yourself, really, and maybe starting with your why in, in some way. Yeah, I, it's like Mike said, you know, there was never a question. You were always in an office, but I've been in the event management industry for more years than I care to admit. And so your office was never really a static place and it was always being surrounded by people. And the same thing in the association management world, you're always surrounded or involved with people. So the lockdown and the online, this online world was a very different one, but it was actually quite an enjoyable one. And I think that the more you can experience, then the better the decision is that you can make. And when you're just starting out, you don't know what the difference is. And I think there's a lot of youngsters who've joined the working world, whatever profession it is, who don't know about the water cooler conversation because they haven't had it. And they don't understand about that being able to stay late, sitting around a table, throwing ideas out. You know, this is the world that they know is the online world. So it's really trying to grab as much experience as you can to find out what you really want. Oh, so well said. Absolutely. And again, folks, that might sound maybe intuitive, but I'm telling you, but we, we miss this internal due diligence time and time again. Gino and Greg, who's tuning in from Milwaukee. Greg, great to see you again. Thanks for your piece of feedback a few days ago. Hey, folks, y'all let us know what some of the best advice you've gotten as y'all worked through your supply chain career or your career in general. Okay. So Mike, circling back to you, what a great starting point with really truly identifying how you like to work. What's number two on your list, Mike? Number two, and we didn't even rehearse this, picks up exactly on Jenny's comments around experiences. So when we talk to companies around what, you know, particularly the younger generation, you know, is looking for and how can you attract that generation or those generations of talent. And when I think about, you know, people looking to, to get into the supply chain career space and or looking to advance, one of the things to keep in mind is, the way that we think about moving through your career is now changing, right? Now, I'll date myself. When I first got into retail, it was basically a ladder, right? You took this job, it then set you up for this job, this job. It was very vertical. It looked like a ladder. Yep. If you look at today's environment, you know we talk a lot about it, and I'll use the word Jenny used, it's about experiences. And it is about accumulating different experiences towards a particular path. And that path for most people nowadays is not a ladder. It's left, right, maybe back, then up, and then off to the side. So my advice to people is to gather as many experiences as you can. Put yourself in as many different situations as you can to get those experiences. Because as I think about you know, the Gartner hiring process. And I think about the research our team has done. We're finding more and more of these interviews are experienced in behavior, experiences, not yep. experience. How long have you had a job? It's what are the experiences and behaviors? Those are the things that I think people want to be accumulating in their toolkit as they think about how do they optimize their career. Yep. So, Jenny, I know he is speaking your language with number two there. Your thoughts? Yeah, 100% experiences. You know, I make this joke that my, the letters after my name uh, are QBE, which is qualified by experience. And I think that, you know, the fact that people are now listening to experience and not just looking at letters at the end of people's names, and it's about your competence rather than your acumen, although having both is really cool. Um, I think that is something, and the more that people can grab experiences, even if they didn't think that it was something that they were wanting to do, it's like we've got to try everything. And these organizations that do these intern things and make everybody try everything in the organization, I think that's something that is really invaluable at whatever age you're in. Obviously, there are things you don't like doing, but sometimes we've all got to do them. It's so true. You know, as both of y'all speak to the value of experiences, it immediately takes my brain to some of my time in the Air Force, right? I was a data analyst in the Air Force, right? And that's what we did. I had a fairly normal job. I only deployed one time, you know, it wasn't combat. But some of my favorite experiences that I learned so much from, to both of y'all's point, was when we'd have exercises. 
and they would take a data analyst like me, and they want to cross-train me in terms of how to load cargo on an airplane. So I'd get certified on some of these cargo, these cool cargo trucks, or be up in the plane locking down cargo, right? And it was so much different than my job as a data analyst, but still I learned about different parts of the mission that impacted really my worldview in many ways, right? Because it was really supply chain or logistics in the military. And one of the quick point, Jenny and Mike, I'd see if y'all agree with me. I think so, so many times, you know, our core job, what I'll call loosely our nine to five these days, you, know, you get off from there and man, you're worn out. You want to go home, eat dinner and take a nap or something. But some of these experiences, extracurricular that we can sign up for that can help you know, us find and identify new wrinkles, new opportunities, new learn, new ways to move in different functional areas or up that proverbial ladder that Mike mentioned. I mean, that is some of the spice to life and some of the secret sauce. So I love this. Start with how you like to work was number one, Mike and Jenny. Number two is really the power of experiences and what I'll call experiential learning. Mike, what is number three? Let me, I'll give you number three, Scott, but let me just react to what you said because I, yes, I you're, you're spot, you're spot on. I think, you know, in today's environment, in order to optimize kind of your supply chain career, right, which is what we're talking about, I think that there is an element of the organization has some responsibility to help you with that, whatever organization you're in. Ah. But I think in today's day and age, you also have your own responsibility. To your point, Scott, right? If you know your nine to five job is kind of what you signed up for, if you want to expand your horizons, it's probably going to have to happen after five, right? Yep. And having some, you know, ownership and accountability around building those experiences on your own, because yes, your employer, you know, will help with some of that. You know, I've seen. Just do our research, you know, some organizations skew higher than others around whose responsibility is it to drive yep. your career. So that to me is another great question to ask, you know, a current employer or your future employer is where's that balance? How much of these experiences are you expecting me to go get on my own? And how many of these experiences are you ready to give? And there really isn't a wrong answer. I just think you need to know what the answer is and yep. then kind of course correct accordingly. Hey, Mike, home run stuff. Let me pause for just a second. Sure. Folks, I want to remind everybody, hey, we're having a hard time. It looks like the platform, maybe there's a little glitch with LinkedIn. It's not loading y'all's comments. So I'm going to read those to you. We're talking with Mike Griswold from Gartner and Jenny Froome, Executive Chair of the SAPIX uh, 2023 Annual Conference. Hello, Michael Prince, tuned in from Bentonville, Arkansas. There's a lot of stuff going on in Bentonville, Arkansas. Great to see you, Michael. And Greg Studer, Greg is mentioning, Mike, to your point about you know finding a company or a situation where they value mentorship and they're going to they're gonna provide that. So good stuff there for Great. Greg. Jenny, before we go back to Mike for number three, just respond to what Mike just shared there because I think that's, a, that's very powerful for those of us that I know I've done it in my career. I've kind of waited until the company gave it to me and I put the onus on them. And really one of one of Mike's points there was the importance of taking ownership for your own career and finding those experiences on your own. Jenny, your quick response. This is preaching to the converted as far as if once you've been involved in a professional association, you see the difference. You see the difference in the individuals who make the investment for themselves and then annual membership fee. And those oftentimes whose companies pay for their registration, their membership fee. And those people who pay for themselves are those who get absolute maximum out of it because they've made the investment in themselves and in their professional development. Yeah, such a great comment there. And I've seen that time and time again in my 14 or 15 years as part of the associational landscape. All right, so Mike. I can't wait to hear what your number three is. Yeah, so number three is actually directed, you know, I think the three of the four are pretty much for anyone at any level in terms of what where they are today or maybe where they want to aspire to. This third one, though, came out, we're doing a ton of research on this, and we're actually trying to put this in practice operationally within Gardner. And it's for those people that manage other people. And this, it's this idea of becoming what we refer to as a connector manager. And what we're finding is when you have a team, right, that there's two ways that you can kind of help that team grow. 
you can, to your point, Greg, you can kind of point things out to them and have them kind of make their own way through that journey. Or what appears to be better way in terms of driving engagement with your team is be this idea of a connected manager where you're actually making connections for your team with other parts of the organization. So for example, if someone has a desire maybe to get into distribution center operations, right? And they were on my team as a connected manager, I would help them make connections with a DC manager, help them get some time together to talk, maybe give that associate some time to go visit a distribution center and see if that's really what they wanted to do. But what we're finding as managers is playing a much more active role in making those connections. You know, if I use a Gartner example, if someone on my team, you know, wants to learn more about how to do quantitative research, I can do that one of two ways. I can send them a quick email and say, go talk to so-and-so, or I can take the time to actually connect them, right? Help them broker a meeting and get things on their calendars and and maybe connect with a person that they want to connect with and give them some background around why my person wants to reach out to them. It's this idea of being a connector. I think is huge. And in your career, right, what you want to try to do is find a manager that's going to be a connection manager for you. And if you aspire to be a manager or maybe are already a manager, think about how do you become a connector manager? Yep. Well said, Mike. Jenny, your thoughts? I think that's a really good point. And I think that management itself has changed. And just looking at Greg's comments in the chat, is that the whole vision of mentorship as well is changing because we also, yes, you manage downwards, but there are also people who manage people upwards as well. And the same is true of mentoring. You know, we need young people. I need young people to help me switch my computer on. But <laughs> but we do, we're, we're learning differently in the same way we're managing differently with each other and from each other. And I think that's something people have to be very aware of and very open to these days. Yeah, I think, Janet, it's a great point. I think the other thing that people have to think a little bit differently about, and I saw it in the chat around the most recent generations, you know, they're looking at, you know, new opportunities or have rightly or wrongly, an expectation of new opportunities every couple of years, right? When I, again, I'll just speak for myself. When I was in my career, you know, you were looking at, you know, five to seven year stints before you were moving around. It's not two to three years. Like some people have those expectations today. I think as a connector manager, if you are truly a connection manager, your job for your team and for your associates is to connect them so that they can progress. And that, if that means progressing out of your team into a different team. So again, if I bring this into Gartner, Right. My job is to enable my team that if they want to go you know, to a different manager in the supply chain, it's my job to give them those opportunities. If they want to leave the supply chain and go to a different part of Gartner, yep. while I hate to lose them in the supply chain, it would be worse if Gartner lost them. And I think really connected managers have this idea that, you know what, I may connect people in such a way that their next opportunity is actually outside of Gartner. And I'm okay with that. Right. That's a whole different way of thinking if you really want to be a connected manager and you want to think about this through the lens of how do I enable my team? Yeah, so much good stuff there. I I want to go back to where you started your number three, Mike. And, you know, you talked about visiting other facilities and whatnot. Folks, you know, we've talked about this a lot here on Supply Chain. Now, going back to like the earliest episodes, and that is the power of site visits, of plant tours, of getting out and putting your eyes and ears on other operations and seeing the challenges common and unique they're facing and what they're doing about it, right? The networking that's involved, what you pick up in terms of market insights, practitioner insights, leadership insights from and networking additions from those types of experiences, invaluable. And really it speaks to number three and number two, and heck, maybe even number one, what Mike, Mike's put there. Okay, and Glormar, you've asked a great question in terms of, and we'll try to get to it, in terms of folks that, that maybe have more experience, they left supply chain and trying to come back. We'll see if we can't fit that in before we wrap here today. Jenny, did I ask you 
Sorry, I'm in the moment here. It's Wednesday. I'm lost my mind. Have you responded to Mike's number three already? Anything you'd like yes. to add to that? No. Okay. So, uh, and Greg also adds in the chat, managers need to drop the department silos mm. and begin to share employees that want to learn other things. That kind of goes back to what both of y'all have touched on. It's a great point, Greg. Greg's um, making great points. I just yes. like to say. <laughs> he's, he's like he's channeling other Gregs in our ecosystem. Uh, Greg, <laughs> the stuff there. Okay. So, Mike, let's talk about your number four as we're talking about four ways to optimize your supply chain career. Your thoughts, Mike? Yeah, let me just react to Greg's comment because I think it's a really fascinating one. I was talking to my team on the talent side and they were sharing an example of a company and it resonated with me because it's a sports analogy, but the HR team had gone through and basically built almost a draft board Yes. of the 10 highest potential candidates in this particular organization. And then the hiring managers could come in and it was almost like a draft, right? You know, based on the hiring managers were prioritized based on the biggest need for the business. So if you had the number one pick, right, you had this big draft board of people. And what wasn't even a consideration was where they were leaving from, to Greg's yep. point about silos and protecting your people, and in many instances, holding them back. So I thought it was fascinating that it was basically this idea of a draft. Didn't matter where they came from, that part of the business would have to deal with it. We were really thinking about how do I get access and visibility to the best talent and what's the best fit for me? Because my need, it's just like the NFL draft, right? You know, the best player available might be a quarterback, but if you don't need a quarterback, you're not going to take it. Right. So I thought it was fascinating. Love um, that. The fourth one, I'm going to bring us back to this idea uh, of experiences. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is, is oftentimes I think people get into the supply chain and feel this either self inflicted or external pressure that they have to decide immediately what in the supply chain do they want to do. Right. I yep. just came out of Michigan State, I've got a degree in operations research. I feel like I need to do that. And my advice to people comes back to this idea of experiences and get as that might be your degree and that's fantastic, but you want to get in an organization and take some ownership as well around getting yourself as many different experiences as you can. And that's why I'm going to piggyback Greg, or sorry, Scott, your comment on the site visits. One of the biggest things I'm seeing now being introduced by more and more companies is this idea of rotational programs. Yep. And I think, you know, if you're early in your career or you're searching for someone, think, see what they have from a rotational perspective, because it gives you those different experiences. It builds those experiences for you. And it starts to give you a sense of what do I like and what do I not like? For some people spending, you know, a year in a highly operational DC environment will teach you very quickly you don't want to work in a DC. Or it might say, hey, I love the pace of this environment. How do I get to a point where I can manage a facility like this? And there's other parts of the supply chain, I think, that if you get in it, you can then decide, you know, how you know, is it for me or not? And I think the rotational programs, I think, are a great way to get immersed and be immersed long enough so that you can make some of those decisions. You know, spending a week in a DC, spending a week, you know, looking at how we route loads is probably not enough, right? You need a true rotational program that says, this is where you're going to spend the next 12 to 18 months. And then coming out of that, this is your next kind of rotation. So yep. to me, those are really important for people to figure out what do you like, what do you not like, and then think about how do you then optimize where do you want to go within a supply chain career. I like that, Mike. I love rotational programs. The company Cisco comes to mind. Jack Allen and his team do a great job rotating amongst their supply chain partners, and that's just one of many that I've come across. Jenny, speak to Mike's number four there. I think rotational is great. I also think a variety of industries. I think a lot of people don't realize that once you've got your supply chain skills, you can work in any industry that you want to. And this was highlighted to me when I started working more with, a, with the International Public Health Supply Chain Fraternity or group. 
um, is that understanding that supply chain best practice is unbelievably portable. So if you've got those skills, you can try any industry that you want to. And potentially, if you're not happy in the one you're working in, try a different one. Yeah, You've got the, you've got the talent. Um, yeah, Jenny, Jenny, that's a great example. I mean, if you think about, if you think about kind of uh, the basics of the supply chain, plan, source, make, deliver, yep. right? If you have a planning expertise, I couldn't agree more with Jenny. That is highly portable. Same with source, make, and deliver. Certainly, there are nuances that you would have to learn, say, if you were planning in a consumer products environment, and now you're going to go to a high-tech environment. There are nuances you would have to pick up on. But in general, I agree completely, Jane. They are highly portable. And I think that's one of the things, I think, that makes the supply chain career so fascinating, is that when you build those skills, the ability to go from something as diverse as consumer products and then maybe land in life sciences or life sciences and then land in retail, right? The ability to get those different experiences in very different industries, I think is one of the things with maybe if you're an accountant, right? That's, you can do accounting pretty much anywhere. But if you think about a lot of other jobs, they tend to be a little bit more specialized and you're kind of, maybe not pigeonhole, but you're kind of in that lane for a while. Yeah. And I think the supply chain experiences, supply chain skill sets provide great portability. I think that's it's a great point, Jen. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think it's so important for anyone listening to not paint themselves in a corner and not create yeah. self-imposed obstacles and make assumptions that stop you from exploring new opportunities of what you want to do, right? Let other folks tell you no, don't tell yourself no. And I've learned that earlier in my career. You got to act and let others try to stop you, but don't stop yourself. And I'm going to use that as a segue. Before, Jenny, I'm going to see what else you'd like to add to Mike's great uh, top four list. Glorimar, I'm going to pose this question out there. And I know I said I wasn't going to take questions, but I think this is a good one a lot of folks struggle with in terms of what we get submitted to us. So Glormar says, hey, hello from a cold, windy, and rainy LA. You don't hear that very often. And I'm not talking lower Alabama, but Los Angeles. What do you recommend to more senior and experienced professionals that have worked in supply chain for a few years, but spent more time in other fields and would like to get back to supply chain, but not in an entry-level job? Now, my take to that, and Mike and Jen, don't want to put you on the spot. You're more welcome to weigh in. But my take is going back to Mike's first point, find out what you know, the, how you want to work. I would add, find out what you want to do. You know, Research the companies and the positions and the openings that really speak to you. And then we're all selling, whether we like it or not, we're all selling. Craft, you, know, you determine how you can reformat your resume to where it really matches with their top skills they're looking for. And, you know, we got to be realistic there, right? But and then put your best foot forward. Go after it with reckless abandon. And I don't want to be overly simplistic and naive, but few folks, what I've seen, are willing to really invest in themselves and do more than kind of click on a button via one of those job sites that sends in a very stale and ancient resume. And that's not going after a new career, to my, how I define it. It's not going after with reckless abandon of what you want to do in this life. But Jenny. Anything that you would add? Let's start with you to Glormar's question. Anything else you would uh, share with her? Yeah, I was actually going to want to answer that question because I think that idea of wanting to go back into supply chain management, obviously you've got to talk education, but that also ties in with Mike's comments about experience because experience is all part of education. So again, without wanting to be seen to be bashing the association or membership (laughs) drum. My my recommendation always is become part of something, become part of a body, become part of a LinkedIn group, become part of something where there are like-minded people. Because from a professional point of view, we all know supply chain is so broad and also it is evolving so fast that what you knew 10 years ago may be very different, but it doesn't mean that your basic skills are going to be out of date. It's just really how they've evolved. And you would catch up on that very quickly 
meeting people who are in already in that area and in that profession and we'll learn from their experiences as well. Love that. Find your village. All right, Mike, mm-hmm. what would you how would you address Glormar's predicament? Yeah, it's a great question. <clears throat> and I think both Scott, what you and Jenny said are are spot on. As I think about kind of what we've been talking about today, I, I think for someone that wants to get back into the supply chain after being out, I think you need to be able to articulate a couple of things. I think you need to be able to convince people that you understand, to Jenny's point, how the supply chain is different today than maybe it was in the past. And whether that's from you know things like our supply chains today have to be much more resilient, you have to handle disruption better, right? There's a lot more use of technology today than maybe there was 10 or 15 years ago. Yep. So I think that's first and foremost. You need to demonstrate that you recognize supply chains have changed and you recognize what some of those changes are. And then I think to Jenny's point, you then need to demonstrate the skill sets that you have. How does that translate in today's new supply chain? And my sense is, again, agree with Jenny completely, the skill sets are super portable. So it's kind of, and also to your point, Scott, how do you sell yourself around, hey, I have these skills. They are the same skills that we need today that we needed 10 years ago. We may apply them a little bit differently. So to me, the key to this is how do you market yourself from the standpoint that you have these accumulated experiences that align with the challenges that supply chains are facing today? Yeah, That, to me, is the big one. That is some good news there. And the other good news is organizations can't find enough talent in many ways, right. in many sectors, in many different parts of global supply chain. So thank you, Jenny. And thank you, Mike. And Glormar, great question. Really appreciate that. All right. So, Jenny. I'm going to give you an opportunity. And I know we kind of reacted and shared some thoughts along the way. Any other bonus tips or ideas that you'd like to add to Mike's four items? On a personal level, I think that people working in the supply chain profession should not underestimate the uniqueness of the skill set that they have or that supply chain professionals have. There is an adaptability, there's an agility, there's a, a quick thinking, there's a thorough thinking, there's an attention to detail. There's all these things. And I think that because you live and breathe it, you take it so granted or you don't realize how exceptional it is. And I think that's something that a lot of supply chain, people working in supply chain management need to remember that the skill set that you have, be it by textbook education, be it by 40 years doing the job, you do something that is exceptional and that must never be underestimated. Yes. Amen. Say that louder to the, preach it louder to the folks in the back, Jenny. That's a wonderful message to take out of here. Both of y'all, I'm really, um, this type of frank discussion folks need to hear more of, right? Because I think over the last few years, as we've been all beat down from a variety of different reasons and perspectives, big and small, yeah, you know, I think it, it can eat away at your self confidence, right? And then when you're you, when you lose your confidence, you lose your ability to really be clear eyed about opportunities that are out there and what's available to you. So, Jenny and Mike, I really appreciate your perspective here today. Mike, before we we make sure folks know about what's coming up with Gartner and of course the Sapix annual event, I- any final thought around urging folks to, you know, put their fate in their own hands, grab the their career in a headlock, and move forward. Yeah, I think the Scott, what I would leave people with is I think as I've shared here numerous times, I coach girls basketball. And one of the things we try to do with the girls is just through practice, getting them comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think everyone has to think about as you're looking to maybe change your journey, if you're looking to, you know, think about how what's next for me, some of it is gonna be uncomfortable. And I think embrace, recognizing that and embracing that is huge. And recognizing that, you know, selling yourself, talking about kind of where you want to go and having those career conversations potentially with your manager, those aren't always easy. Yeah. But you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Or flip side of not doing that is just being unhappy in what you're doing. And you know, I think if the pandemic taught us anything, it's that you know, we need to take the opportunities to be happy in what we're doing. 
Yep. And some of that will require us to be a little bit uncomfortable. So true. And you know, a phrase that we used in the Air Force during my time, and again in hashtag startup life, tip of the hat to Greg White, is sometimes you got to embrace the suck. Yes. You know, it just goes with the territory. Yes. Every day is not going to be, you know, 70 degrees and gorgeous and problem free. And the better you engage and lean into that, to what yeah. Mike was saying, better off you'll be and the better prepared you'll be to tackle the next challenge. Jenny, your quick comment here. Oh, I think it's brilliant and lucky girls that you coach. I think, I, I really think that's such valuable advice because especially with some youngsters who are coming up into the work world, they are expecting the corner office before they've even started work. Mm. And I think that, yes. you know, that people have to understand that you have to do the things sometimes that you really don't to do. And I love that. Embrace the suck. I think that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish I could claim it, but it, okay. All right. So Jenny and Mike, what a delightful conversation with two of our favorite people here at Supply Chain. Now, for starters, tell us what's next coming up. I mean, the hits keep coming with Gartner. What's next for you and the team? Yeah, the big event for us, we've talked about this before, is our upcoming symposium in May in Orlando, June in Barcelona. We're putting together, we already have, I think, 1,500 people registered. Last year was our biggest event. This year, I think, will be even larger. And there's just a lot of content. There's a heavy focus this year on the people side of the supply chain. Yep. So just encourage people, if, you know, if you've got an opportunity to swing by Orlando, it will be a great event. It will be. I was there at Supply Chain Symposium last year, home run stuff, the content, the networking, all of it yeah. really good stuff. So thank you, Mike. Jenny, in a similar vein, you're leading, once again, I can't remember the number, but the annual SAPIX conference in Cape Town. Tell us about that coming up in June. Too many. Well, not. So <laughs> this is the 45th. This is the 45th annual conference, and it's wow. actually the 26th. I thought it was the 21st, but it's the 26th annual conference that I've managed. But most excitingly, you know, last year we managed to get back in person. This year we're fully back in person. It's weird to think this time last year we were still wearing mandatory masks. So we're really looking forward to it. Cape Town's a fantastic destination, but it's again shining a light on the African supply chains, but also bringing exposure to other international guests who come to the conference as well. So if you can't afford to travel to, if you're in, in Africa and you can't afford to travel to Barcelona in June, you've got to be in Cape Town. I, I love I think, it. I think, Scott, you said in our in the green room, you were heading down there, correct? We are. After so, so, Jenny, make sure you hook up Scott with some great white cage diving. I think that's <laughs> oh, yeah, no, a great absolutely. experience for you, Scott. Oh, goodness. And Amanda. Uh, they can and share Amanda. a cage. Yes. <laughs> We might miss that day of conference. We'll see. But but folks, I really, both of y'all, on a, a very genuine kidding aside, you know, both of y'all do so much to facilitate others' success and learning and advancement. And that's, you know, blessed are the folks that do that. So thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Mike. We really appreciate that, both at work, so to speak, and outside of that. So I appreciate what you do. Mike, before we let you go, how can folks connect with you? Mike Griswold from Gartner. LinkedIn and email. Love to hear from people. If this resonates, does it resonate? If there's other topics that you're interested in, let me know. We've got 100 plus supply chain analysts. So I'm sure there's stuff we can help people with. So just let me know. An army of analytical yes. talent there at Gartner. Well, hey, Mike, always a pleasure. One of our longest running series. And the people here love to hear from Mike Griswold. So we'll see you next time. Have a wonderful afternoon. Mike Griswold with Gartner. Thanks, everyone. Happy holidays. Bye, Mike. You know, Jenny, we didn't mention Mike's got some really cool travel coming up, as do you. And I won't ask you to put your itinerary out there, but to travels and please send pictures. Okay. Again, folks, one of my, one of my favorite things about our live streams and really all of our live events is being able to weave in comments from folks that have been live with us. And again, we've had a little glitch with the platform seems like the integration, so I haven't been able to bring those comments in visually. The hits keep on coming. Greg's sharing some more stuff. Jenny, Greg Studer said, love the draft ideas. Managers should be able to look at resumes of people in different departments to see if they have talent or aspiration to try new things. Lorimar says, site visits and plant tours are some of her favorite tasks. You learn so much from it. 
And it's so true. All right. So first off, your favorite thing, if you had to point to just one thing that you and me and Mike talked about here today, and of course, all the folks in the cheap seats, the comments, if folks forgot everything else, what is one thing that you want to keep, they should keep front and center? Network, network, network. Community is everything. Oh, man. Okay. T-shirtism as we wrap up the show here today. Network, network, community is everything, as Jenny Froome says. Okay. So, Jenny, how can folks connect with you, whether it is networking with you, talking shop with you, you know, getting, your, getting more perspectives, maybe they bring you in as a keynote, or they want to attend the 45th annual SAPIX annual conference in June. How can folks connect with you? You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. I know some people don't like Twitter. I love Twitter, Jenny. And otherwise, Scott will tag me and then I'll tag him back and you'll find us there. <laughs> soccer boots, soccer boots. So, <laughs> all right. Well, hey, Jenny, really a pleasure. You know, we've got some things as Vicki White might kid me. I always say hey, we got lots of more good stuff coming. Jenny, I'm excited about some of the things we'll be doing together later this year. And of course, again, your constant focus and spotlight on some of the some of the things we all should be more conscious of, right, across the global community. So Jenny, keep up the great work and we will see you soon. But folks, to our listeners, hope you enjoyed the last hour. I tell you what, Jenny and Mike knocked it out of the park. Thanks to all y'all that showed up and contributed. Jenny, we should thank Catherine and Man and Chantel and Clay, all the folks behind the scenes, right, helping to make production happen. Really appreciate that. But whatever you do, folks, I want to go back to something I think all three of us mentioned. You've got all sorts of resources out there that can help you navigate your career. But when it comes down to it, it's you and what you do, right? And what you do with all the information. So as we like to say here, deeds, not words, take the action, take the first step, change your trajectory. It's all right there waiting for you to pick up and run with it. So with that said, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton signing off now, challenging you. Be like Jenny Froome, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Oh,